0: Welcome everyone to another episode of All Saints Online, the podcast where we dive deep into the lives and beliefs that shape the human experience. I'm your host, Chris Smith, and today we have another of a very special series of episodes where we are introduced to the pastors and director behind the formation of the All Saints Online community. These interviews aim to cover a spectrum of professional insights while also giving listeners a glimpse into their personality and their human side. It is our hope that these episodes not only introduce you to the voices and faces that you see in the All Saints Online content, but also that these interviews would enlighten, inspire, and perhaps even challenge us. Well, without further ado, let's welcome one of the pastors of All Saints Online and St. Andrews United Methodist Church in Omaha, Nebraska, Pastor John Severing. Pastor John, welcome to All Saints Online. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. To start off, could you share with us just a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah. When I'm specifically talking about my, you know, my church background, my faith background, I tell people it's eclectic that I'm a little bit of an ecumenical mutt. I've been part of lots of different kinds of churches and a lot of different places. I was born in Missouri, have been in Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, and Texas, but we've been in the Omaha area off and on, my family and I, for a good chunk of the last 15 years. I've been in ministry for about 15 years as well. I started out of a really small church, small town in Nebraska and spent time at a couple different churches in a couple different denominations and started here at St. Andrews about a year and a half ago. So you spent time in Missouri and in
0: Texas. So we'll start off with the big questions, the important questions.
1: Better barbecue, Kansas City or Texas? All right, they're gonna hate me for this, but Kansas City, no question, because they use sauce. Barbecue without sauce is wrong, it's just meat. I know the Texans aren't going to like that, but it's true. That's right. I don't disagree with you, but then again, (laughs) I I never lived in Texas. Right. So actually for me, we were in South, South Texas in Corpus Christi. And so the tacos were a lot more important than the barbecue. And I miss tacos. (laughs) They had amazing tacos, even at gas stations. You go to Stripes, get your breakfast taco all, all over the place. In their HEB grocery stores, they had Uh, tortilla factories, basically, where they would be making them where you could smell them all the time. It was amazing. As a big taco fan, I'm very invested in what you're
0: saying. So, you know. Right. As you should be. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Tacos are the most important food group in my house. So Right. Tacos is the most important meal of the day. All right. So outside of your pastoral duties, what's a
1: hobby or pastime that you enjoy That might surprise people that are listening. If you have been online at all and heard any of my sermons, you may have heard me mention rugby. That wouldn't necessarily surprise a lot of folks now, but I do love playing rugby. And another one that maybe not a lot of people know about is world building. So I've been working for four or five years on sort of the background for a series of novels. And I don't tell a lot of people that because I still haven't actually written any novels, haven't done any actual writing. It's all world building at this point. So I definitely didn't know that.
0: I'm interested, though. When you said world building, I'm like, oh, you're a big what is it? Minecraft, like Minecraft fan, yeah. You know. <laughs> but no, that's amazing. What is a couple of the defining
1: factors of the world that you're creating? So it's based in historical fiction, but is also sort of magic realism. That there's all these points specifically in Christian history where Christianity and magic existed and sort of like weird juxtaposition. And so I'm kind of trying to find those places historically and figure out what that meant for people at that time. And then places where, you know, people would get hanged or burned for it and what's the difference and why. And so still doing the history and world building on what that would look like. So what I'm hearing is nerdy stuff exceptionally, (laughs) exceptionally nerdy. Yeah, I think Uh, that's that's a compliment, though, okay?
0: (laughs) It is a compliment. But that leads right into my next question, because you and I, I would say, are definitely both kind of nerds, especially when it comes to religion and the Bible. Right. So just a fun question here. If you could have coffee with any figure from religious history, who would
1: it be and why? So the obvious right answer is Jesus. But that's too easy and so i'm gonna say well obviously jesus first but beyond that from religious history probably roger williams roger williams is famous ish for having started the first baptist church in the united states in providence rhode island in the early 1600s and it was sort of a really important part of religious freedom in the united states that the folks who had come over here were trying to get out of religious persecution in places like England, where they didn't have to be part of a state church. So when he came over, he sort of started Rhode Island, Roger Williams did, as a place where you wouldn't be persecuted for not being a Congregationalist. Or you wouldn't be persecuted for not being an Anglican. It was really important in sort of the religious freedom movement.
0: For a lot of people, there's some obscure person that... right the general public may not even know or think about at all but it's the religious nerd equivalent of how
1: often do you think of the roman empire (laughs) right
0: you know uh, it's the
1: same thing that's right that's why i use the term famous loosely like roger williams famous ish yeah yeah there have been times
0: where i've been in these rooms with celebrities and things i'm not a oh i need an autograph i need a picture how do we do this However, there have been times where my wife has made fun of me because we'll go into a room at a convention or something. And it's like, that guy. And she's like, I don't who's that guy. And I'm like, it's blah, 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 blah. And she's like, why does that matter to you? And I'm like, I don't know, but that's my celebrity right there. Right, right. And it's somebody that nobody else in
1: the room even knows. Right. And then there's the reverse of it is the people that you shouldn't know and you're kind of excited to see. So like last summer, I went to Israel with a, a graduate class on sort of Bible lands and culture. We were at the Jordan River and we looked over and Kevin Sorbo was filming goodness knows what awful thing. So those of us who thought that was funny had to get selfies behind with Kevin Sorbo in the background. Again, Not giddy, didn't go talk to him, but it was important for us to document that moment. I'm 100% on board with that. I would have done the exact same
0: thing in that situation. Kind of on that lighthearted side of it for a couple minutes, one of the things that is always funny about working in the church is that we get some really odd requests, odd experiences at times. I just remember there was a church that I worked at years ago, I walked in day one and my boss just goes, hey, are you ready to go herd some sheep? And I'm like, <laughs> right. yes, I thought he was being all biblical. And I was, like, yeah, I'm ready to go. And he's like, all right, hop in my vehicle. Wait, what? And he goes, this member of sheep got out. They asked if we could go get them back in the pen because they're working an hour away today. So my first day there, we literally herded sheep for two or three hours. And it was funny and fun, but it was just like this odd request. Have you ever gotten
1: an odd or unusual request from somebody in the church? I do feel like in rural and farming communities, which I've served in a number of, there's kind of that expectation that, everybody helps out when they can. And the pastor doesn't have a real job. So they're more available (laughs) to help out. And so there was first church I served in rural farming community and got a call from one of our deacons and said, Hey, you know, my, my 10 year old is out of town and I'm putting up, Hey, I need some help. Could you come out and drive a truck? And I was like, sure, if this 10 year old can do it. I ought to be able to do it. So I get there and when I see what he means by truck is it's a semi with a flatbed that he's going to take the tractor, load the bales onto this flatbed. And my job is to drive a semi through a field. He didn't say how bad of a job I was doing, but after I'd done it for about an hour, he said, you know what? Why don't you get in the tractor? (laughs) And so we switched and, and I was driving the tractor until, you know, I think I tried to start it In second gear, basically, I don't know what the tractor equivalent of that is and killed it enough times. He was like, you know, I think, I think we're, I think we're good for today (laughs) after about two hours. So I felt I was embarrassed that, you know, I couldn't do as, as good of a job as this 10 year old apparently Mm -hmm. had, but it was, it was unique and it was fun. The little kid that grew up around farming and
0: ag and things like that really wants to ask you lots of questions about like, (laughs) what semi?
1: What tractor? If I had any idea, I probably would not have been so terrible at it. I grew up in small towns and sort of around farms. So the animals I was good with, lots of good stories about pig wrestling at the county fair and all that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. But the machinery, nobody ever let me around machinery.
0: Going along with
1: working at churches and stuff, there
0: are interesting things that just happen during services. Have you ever had a moment
1: that just didn't go as planned during service? Yeah, there's a bunch, but some would implicate other people. So those are my pudding break stories that I'll tell you when I'm on my pudding break at the nursing home. And I know that those folks are not going to be able to be implicated by those, but mine are mostly around me being really forgetful. I'm a space cadet. I have real issues with focus and concentration and remembering things in the moment. So there have been a number of times when I've forgotten important things that I needed to have for worship services. And the absolute worst was I was getting ready to to preach a relatively significant sermon in the life of a congregation. they have been going through a lot of struggle, a lot of conflict. And I'd been working there for about a year, year and a half, and was trying to help move them towards some healing. And so I got up to give this sermon, and I took out my notes, and I looked at them, and it was clearly the sermon I had preached the last Sunday. And so I was flipping through my Bible and trying to hem and haw and trying to sort of make something up and talk while I was looking for my notes. I couldn't think of anything and finally realized I just had to tell everyone I'm sorry. I know this is going to sound like some kind of illustration or some kind of point I'm trying to make or some kind of joke, but it's not, I forgot my sermon. It's not here. I have no idea what I'm going to say. I need to go look for it. And I just had to walk off the platform, away from the pulpit, back through the back hallway and into my office while everybody was laughing behind me. It was fantastic. I definitely would have loved to have seen that.
0: Right. And I think people that work for churches all have those stories. We all have those experiences. So it's nice to hear them from other people. Who but- among
1: us has not forgotten their papers for work, but just in front of a congregation of people waiting to hear you talk. It was it was yeah. real bad. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I won't go into the whole detail, but... I may or may not have officiated a wedding and accidentally called the bride by the wrong name during the vows. So it's nice to know that other people make mistakes too. It happens. It's also a problem of mine that I just read what's on the paper and I missed changing the name in that one part. Right. Because during that part.
1: It's the Ron Burgundy syndrome. It is. I see see the words and that's what I say. That's all I have. (laughs) Exactly. If it's wrong, it's bad. Yep. I get it.
0: (laughs) Looking at more of the, the ministry side, I just really want to focus on that because it is something unique that a lot of people, they see you, they know who you are, they know kind of what you do or what we do, but it is different when you do it every day. So I think it's good to just bring some understanding and some light into this, I always hesitate to be like, it's a calling from God, but it is a calling, <laughs> right? you know, and we're all called to different things. This is just the thing we're called to. And yeah. so with that, if you had to
1: choose a theme song for your ministry, what would it be and why? When we're in the pastor place, you know, that the pastors go together. We talk about walk-up songs. What would my my preaching walk-up song be. And I feel like it encapsulates my ministry as well. It's Remember the Name by Fort Minor. If you're not familiar with that, first of all, it's got bowling words in it, so I wouldn't necessarily play the thing as I was walking up in congregation. But the chorus goes, this is 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% pain, and 100% reason to remember the name. A lot of rap actually does really well talking about what it means to preach specifically. So I appreciate that one. Remember the name, Fort Minor. I would not have expected that one, but that works. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And you've got the uh, the cello at the beginning. It's really intense. I feel like you're going to need to have that playing over the background of this at some point. It's fantastic. Whenever I
0: think about that stuff, I always tell people that mine would be sweet child of mine. And then I'm reminded that that song isn't about Jesus, which I think is ridiculous, because what sweeter child is there ever than sweet baby Jesus? Yeah, sweet baby Jesus. (laughs) Exactly. Another Will Ferrell reference there. That's right. All right. So this is going to be kind of a vague question. How do you approach interpreting scripture? I think that's a really important one for people, and especially for today, because honestly, a lot of people don't do it, but right.
1: how do you approach that? Yeah. The lens I see things through, the the way I always do it is I start with Jesus and then I work my way outwards from there. I, I think a lot of folks see the Bible as sort of a cut and paste sort of document where they're like, okay, if I can take this verse and then I can add it to this verse and I cut it out and they just sort of paste it together into every Bible verse that has the word seasons in it, well, then that's what I believe about winter or whatever. But if we do believe that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that the things that Jesus did and said ought to be central for us. And so I usually start with Jesus, work my way outwards from there, to make things make sense. So if I see something that's really weird, you know, you have one of the Psalms that talks about crashing the the heads of the babies against the rocks. And we're like, what in the world? That's horrifying. Then we sort of look closer to the center of our faith in Jesus. And what would Jesus have said about that? Is this something that matches up with who we know Jesus is and what Jesus taught? And if it's not, then we probably aren't understanding it well. In a sentence, I start with Jesus and work my way outwards from there.
0: I really like that. If it doesn't align with Jesus, then we probably don't understand it. That's been one of the biggest things as I study scripture and I study interpretation and I study all this stuff because, again, I'm a nerd. Um, I love knowing as much as I can about the context and the background and why it's there. I think that a lot of times I have people that tell me, well, it's right there. All you have to do is read it. right. And so how would you respond to somebody when they say, it's right there, all you have to do is just read it and follow it, knowing that the English translation is good, but it's not perfect. Right. So how would you respond to somebody who says, well, it's right
1: there, it's in black and white, it's easy? Yeah, probably not well. That's probably how I would respond. In my experience, very few people are argued into... Compassion for other people. Very few people are argued into the kingdom of God. So, if I were in a relationship with a person where I knew that they were assuming good intent on my part, then I would say that. I would say, Yes, there is a verse that says that. Let's look at some other verses that say other things and, you know, talk about things that seem simple but aren't. So, anytime anybody brings up oh, here's this really specific verse about human sexuality in Leviticus. I'm like, great, let's look at Leviticus. Let's talk about the really specific words that God has for us about the abomination of shellfish and talk about whether or not you are or are not an abomination for eating a red lobster. Because most people would recognize that as ridiculous. Nobody thinks that. Well, not nobody. There's somebody who thinks everything. But very few of us would say, oh, yeah, obviously, this one tiny verse in Leviticus is supposed to tell us about the food we are or are not supposed to eat for all of eternity. So I would point out some other verses just to kind of say, listen, nobody holds every verse of scripture as equally authoritative and as equally having relevance and having authority for all people of all times. Nobody thinks that every verse is that because there are ones that are mutually exclusive, like the two verses in Proverbs that are back to back and say, don't answer a fool according to their folly. And then the very next verse is answer a fool according to their folly. Mutually exclusive. You can't do both. You can do one or the other. So folks that tend to hone in on one verse and say, well, this is It's right there in black and white. All you have to do is what it says. Again, somebody that I was in close enough relationship with to disagree productively, I would look at other verses that are in black and white and say some really clear and really specific things that they're not doing, that they don't see as authoritative, and just help to sort of build some of that tension of, why do you think that this verse is authoritative and not the other one? Help them to be reflective on how they are using scripture. I approach it a very similar way.
0: There was somebody I was reading one time that used the terms malicious compliance, and that's kind of the way that I roll. Where it's like, okay, yeah. if we want to, if we want to follow that, let's just say I hundred percent agree with you. But let's look at what's around it, and we're gonna follow all that too. Yep, absolutely. And that breaks down really quickly. I don't respond necessarily well to that. I tend to be a little bit, as my mother calls it, mouthy. I don't hold. It against people because a lot of times they are, maybe this isn't the right word, but they're victims of what they've been told. And they either have never taken the time to look at it themselves or they've never been in a place that encouraged them, I gave them the tools to know how to you know, look at it and study it. We have the privilege to spend lots of hours doing this in educational settings and pastoral settings And sometimes it's a good reminder for me. You know what? Other people have never had to take classes on how do you break down a verse? How do you look at the Greek? How do you look at the Hebrew? How do you look at all the options that it could have been? I try not to be demeaning, but I also try to make a similar point, kind of that malicious compliance of, all right, let's say I agree with you. Then I'm going to agree with all of what you're saying. And they're like, wait, no,
1: I didn't say that. (laughs) Absolutely. So why are you not wearing white clothes (laughs) Why are you not stoning adulterers? Why are you not, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. And I agree. uh, Again, I don't think that most folks believe what they believe out of bad intent. Just folks are where they are. And so that's one of the things that I see as my unique calling is to help folks who are experiencing some of the tension in ways that they've seen scripture used and don't have the ability to just go, dive super deep into it and study it for years and years but they need help in sort of reconciling this is what i see in jesus but man all these folks who know their bibles really well are saying look at this verse. look at this verse look at this verse you know i see a lot more people that are disillusioned than are hostile if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so trying to help folks see scripture as something that that was intended to be life-giving because it wasn't always for me. You know, there were years of my ministry that I could not read the Bible productively because I was angry about things that it said and and about the God I saw portrayed in it in ways that I had been taught. So yeah, so absolutely have, have compassion with folks that are in different places and, and just see how God might be moving us forward. Along with how we interpret scripture and how
0: we look at the Bible and what it means and the intention behind it. Inclusion is, this is me here, I think it's ridiculous that this is such a hot-button issue in the church, but inclusion is a foundational aspect of St. Andrew's, of All Saints Online. So what does inclusion mean to you, especially within the context
1: of faith and spirituality? Right. All throughout the story of scripture, I see the unfolding of God's dream for the world as drawing ever widening circles of inclusion, of saying, okay, I'm going to start with this group of people and I'm going to teach them what it means to follow me. And part of what that means is hospitality and welcoming of the poor, the orphan, the widow, of the alien and the stranger among you. So uh, you go back to Genesis 12 and there's the call of Abraham and God says to Abraham, I'm gonna make of you a people, I'm going to bless you and you are gonna bless the rest of the world. Everyone in all of creation is gonna be blessed through you. So I see that movement of ever-widening circles of inclusion, God including more and more people into God's family as the sort of the meta story, the big story that God is telling throughout the entire Bible. I see it as foundational to the Christian faith in general. Once you get to the New Testament, Jesus talks about people being witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And again, that's sort of ever-widening geographic circles. First, just this city, then just kind of this region, then this whole country, and then on into the rest of the world. But you see it also happening with different kinds of people. You start out with Jewish folks that Jesus was talking to, but then you have this really unique story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and you have somebody who is a gender and sexual minority at that time, somebody who is a religious minority, somebody who is from, you know, in all probability, different race, different nation had not been included in any of the things that the religious faith at that time was doing. And God specifically sent Philip to this person, said, hey, I need you to talk to this person because my love, my way, the life that I have is for these folks too. So again, I see that as kind of the big story of what God is doing in scripture.
0: I think that that is incredibly important for us to understand. And to follow is that idea that this is foundational. The God story from beginning to now to however long in the future is a story that is meant to be for everyone. Right. That is God's intention. God wants everyone that's the reality of it. And we're going to unpack that topic and give it its own episode later. So if you're like, oh, well, they just barely touched on it. That's because we're going to come back to it. We're going to devote an entire time, an entire episode just to that, maybe even a series, who knows, but we'll come back to that. And as we kind of wrap up here, though, what message do you think is crucial
1: for the current and next generation of the church? I think that the last 50, 60 years of church history, as it were, in the United States and North America has looked like a profound loss of credibility for the church, just in our society, in our culture, that people don't, as a rule, trust churches. People don't, as a rule, trust folks in religious leadership. And I don't blame them. That loss of credibility has come from a ton of abuse, a ton of misconduct, a ton of anti-intellectualism. We live in a time where information is all over the place. People can fact-check sermons in real time. So... Being a church for the future looks like building back credibility, building back trustworthiness, building back some intellectual respectability and doing it, I hope, in very public ways and doing it with some humility, recognizing that we can't expect folks to necessarily just trust, oh, yeah, we're doing this in good faith because... How many folks have been hurt and let down by what the church was supposed to be and was promised to them and, and it didn't live up to. I am exceptionally hopeful that we're going to be able to do that because I see a lot of good people working very hard under the radar. And it's often the loudest folks who are the most problematic. So that's my hope. And part of my task is trying to help people find the good and faithful people maybe working under the radar, doing the small and and simple work of God to help us be the church that we needed and that the people coming after us are going to be needing.
0: I love wrapping up there because it wraps up with hope. And honestly, that's the biggest thing that we need. There's a lot of things that you just said that I want to unpack later at some point. So yeah. Pastor John, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and be a part of this, and we look forward to having you back. Thank you for letting us get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, happy to do it.
1: I appreciate you taking the time. 18- Plus.